Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Manscaped. Such a cool company. And I'm going to hook you guys up later with a little discount code so you can scape your man. I don't know if that's how that would go. But all right, guys, 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 guys. Um, You know, I keep saying I'm going to stop singing, you know, the intros and various things. Um, But I really doubled down. And uh, so I have my Seattle show on August 22nd coming up. Uh, That's in a couple days. I think this will come out before then or the day of. But still, there's still time to get tickets. Hopefully... The podcast doesn't come out before you got a chance to get your tickets. August 22nd, Seattle, Washington. I will be at Laughs Comedy Club. You can get tickets on their website or at rachelbrandcomedy.com. I hope to see you guys there. But while I was promoting my Seattle show, I was like, I just I need a, you know, more creative way to promote this instead of just making flyers. So I decided to really get into the the Seattle mood. And uh, I dressed grunge in this video I made for social media. Um, And if you want to see it, you can follow me or whatever. Look at my Instagram at Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-N-O-B-R-I-E-N. But anyways, so I decided to make this video. So I dressed like Seattle grunge and um, decided to sing like Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. And then Kurt Cobain from Nirvana. But um, it was a, it was supposed to be a joke because I can't sing. Um, although Eddie Vedder's voice is, I gotta be honest, kind of easy to mimic. Like, you just kind of got to add a little share into it. Like, can't find a better man. Okay, that wasn't that good. But whatever. That's pretty much what I'm doing in the video. And um, taking it real seriously. And my boyfriend who was filming it, like, walked in the room. It's a whole little bit thing. Anyways. But my neighbors now, um, think I, uh, I'm trying to sing like professionally. I saw one of them by the pool the other day. He was like, heard you singing. Um, uh, it was, it was pretty good. I was like, oh no, that, that was a joke. That was, no, no, no. Also that wasn't good. Um, I don't know what you're trying to pull here or what, you know, by giving me this compliment, am I going to watch your dogs? No, that's not happening. And I can't sing and do not tell me I can because, you know, I will keep doubling down and really just go off the rails with it. Anyway, super excited for my Seattle show. Thank you guys for sending me the recommendations last week I said on the podcast. Like if you guys had any restaurant recommendations, I got a bunch of them from you guys. So thank you. And as always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for rating it five stars and leaving good reviews. Uh, I know I say this every time, but it means everything to me. So I really appreciate it. Thank you guys. I love you so much. Um, truly my friends. And, uh, you know, tag me in your Insta story. When you're listening to the podcast, I want to know where, when, how, what you think about it. I'll repost it. And, uh, yeah, and please keep leaving five-star uh, ratings and good reviews on Apple Podcasts. It just helps to keep it going. And, uh, but also just, you know, DM me if you want to chat. I really do try to respond to everyone and uh, as much as possible. And, you know, I, I like hearing your stories and I'm, you know, happy to help in any way I can give advice. I don't know. I do respond though. Um, what else am I? Oh, I can't move the bottom half of my face. Sorry. (laughs) Forgot to mention that. Um, so before we get into the podcast, uh, to my horror, I, so 
I do nothing else to my, I don't do plastic surgery or any of that crap, but I, I, I have gotten Botox, you know, over the last couple of years, right? So I'm not new to it. I get it like every six months or whatever you're supposed to do. But my face had a strange reaction this time. And so like the fur, if you've ever had Botox, um, which no shame in the game, guys, if it makes you feel better, go for it, but don't overdo it. Um, but if you ever had Botox, like, you know, like the first couple weeks, like right after you get the Botox, like your face does feel like just more like stiff. Like you just really like, you can't really frown. And it's just like, that goes away after a couple weeks, but it's just like the first couple are just, it feels weird. It's kind of like, uh, you want to be able to move your face more. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that just happens to me, but I think that's pretty common. So it's within the first couple weeks right now. And I... Uh, I go uh, last Monday to the the Vanderpump uh, finale party thing, and my friend Zach and I are taking photos, like taking selfies. And I kept looking at the photo and being like, "What's what's wrong with my mouth? What's wrong with my smile? Why am I smiling like that?" And then I, we would retake it, and I'm like, "Why? I look like really stuck up. Like, why am I smiling that like that?" And then I went in the bathroom. And looked in the mirror and I tried to smile, like tried to actually smile like I normally smile. I can't smile. The The only thing I can do right now is like, you know, when you a little kid, you tell a little kid to smile and then they basically just show their teeth. Like that's how they think smiling works. That's all I can do. And I don't know when this is going to wear off enough that I can smile again, but it is so weird looking. It feels so weird. And guess what? I smile a lot on stage when I do stand-up. So in a couple days, if you're going to see me in Seattle, I'm going to have to explain to everyone that I messed my face up for a couple weeks and it is not comfortable. And I don't know what kind of public service announcement this is, but uh, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to get Botox ever again because I don't like this feeling and I don't even have wrinkles. I don't know why I do it. It just... uh, LA sucks you in. I don't know. But... I can't smile. It's literally, uh, it's a little kid just showing their teeth. It's so weird looking. Like my lips don't even, they're not, I can't even hold them the same. I went out last night for my friend Kylie's birthday and we were taking a bunch of photos. I was like, I either am going to look miserable in the photos or I just had to do like a stupid kissy face, which I don't even do. I, it's, only this would happen to me, honestly. I don't even know why. I, Maybe they put more in or something or maybe like he like did it lower or something. And so like somehow my like cheek, I don't know. I have no answers other than I need it to go away ASAP. Um, okay. So side note, pray for me guys. Pray for me, please. Uh, okay. My podcast today, I am excited about this podcast that I came across her on Instagram. Uh, I don't know how, like someone else I know had tagged her in something. And then I was like, I remember her face. I remember that story. Oh, this was, and a whole movie was made about it. She's got a super interesting and crazy life. Um, so Alexis Nears, well, formerly Alexis Nears, her name is now Alexis Haynes because she got married. But Alexis Nears um, was a reality uh, television personality, most notable for uh E's reality series Pretty Wild with her mother and her sisters Gabby and Tess Taylor. I don't know if you guys remember that. Uh, I do. And then she also is, you know, she has cleaned her life up. So, but it's just a, f- a fact. She was uh, involved in the 
the bling ring, which they made a movie about. But she has completely cleaned up her life. She is an inspiration to the fact that you can go from being troubled and, you know, having certain character defects to, you know, getting sober, which you'll hear about, and completely turning her life around. And she's got an amazing life. She's got an amazing husband and business and podcast called Recovering from Reality. She's got two beautiful kids, I think she... Yes, two beautiful kids. And she just... Yeah, it's just, it's a cool story and a cool journey. And I love, I love stories like this, underdog stories, stories of recovery. And, uh, and just, you know, she says in, in her podcast, um, like the about section or the bio of it, that you should wear these types of things like a badge of honor. And uh, because it's, it's awesome to go through hell and come out on the other side. And these journeys are our badges of honor. So it's really cool. And I, um, I talk about, you know, my own not journey with criminal things or uh, addiction or, you know, alcohol or whatever, but from, you know, just a, a bad experience that happened to me last summer that, uh, you know, was pretty painful that I've definitely come out the other side. So I relate to her and uh, in certain ways. And yeah, so I think you're going to love the podcast. So without further ado, give it up for... Alexis Nears Haynes. Alexis, thank you for doing this. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We just had to redo the intro because I realized her mic wasn't on. Uh, uh, but like I was saying, <laughs> uh, I knew I was going to like you right away. I think that you you are what I was expecting. Like you're an underdog story, like a story of like you you went from. Well, no, it's not an underdog story. It's like you just it shows that you can have like a kind of a crazy life and then now have like a clean, cool, whatever. Yeah. I think we all come here to evolve and um, some people's evolution in this lifetime is a little bit more extreme and I'm just one of those cases for sure. But it's so much more interesting. Yeah. I I love that, those kind of stories. So tell me a little bit about like you, did you grow up in LA or... Yeah, so I grew up in L.A. My dad was um, a director of photography. He was the DP on Friends and The Nanny and all of those amazing 90s sitcoms. My mom was an ex-model who, when she met my dad on set on The Nanny, um, she they fell in love and so cute. <laughs> um, had a couple babies. The thing was that my dad was just like a really bad alcoholic mm-hmm. um, and he was addicted to numerous drugs. And when he consumes alcohol, he turns into a really ugly person. Mm -hmm. And so um, he ended up having an affair. And I was three and a half and my sister was 18 months old. And they separated. Mm -hmm. And so I um, lived with my mom for the most part. And my dad was in and out of my life. I've had periods of time where he ended up becoming homeless. Mm -hmm. And we didn't talk for years uh, so there was just a lot of, it, I grew Trauma. up in a broken home. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in a broken home. My dad was physically abusive towards me. Mm-hmm. He was very violent. Um, there was early childhood sexual abuse that began when I was around four. Mm-hmm. And um, I've heard you talk about that on your podcast. Uh, is that something you can delve into deeper? Like, Yeah, I mean... This is a thing, and I'm going to talk more about my book comes out December 3rd, and I'm going to dive into this as much as I possibly can. Here's the thing is that the system um, in a lot of ways works against uh, uh, victims. Mm-hmm. It's something that I didn't talk about or tell this person. Like most 
perpetrators groomed me. They were someone that was in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, they were 10 years older than I was. So he was about 15 to 17. And I was about four to seven years old. Mm-hmm. And um, it was our little secret. It was a but secret. It, at that age, you don't even know. You don't like, even you know. Think that that's, you yeah. don't know. And that's and a story that I hear a, a, yeah. a lot. Yeah. And the brain actually like shuts down when it's under such an immense amount of trauma. And mm-hmm. so you don't have really clear pictures of what happened. I have two events now um, that transpired that are clear as day to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I began using it really made my memory extra spotty. And then when I got sober, I started having these kind of like recovered memories. Is that what yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I would go, one of the incidents took place in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And so I remember in early sobriety, I went to a hotel and you know, the hotel smell, I don't know every, the hotel smell, the yeah. cleaning yeah, product yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, it's like, it smells about. really yeah. fresh and the yeah. air, air conditioning's on. But it's kind super of gross cold. at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And that triggered like instantly like a huge memory for me of of what happened. And it wasn't just molestation. He forced me to perform oral sex on him. It was heinous. I I have a six year old daughter. I can't even imagine doing the Mm -hmm. things to having anything like that happen to her like that happened to me. And so. Um, there was just like so much trauma. My mom was, I didn't have healthy attachments to either of my parents. I felt like a real like latchkey kid. Like, Mm -hmm. and then I had such big emotions and I had nobody to guide me. And so, you know, by the time I was a preteen, I was already engaging in, in risky behavior Mm -hmm. and, and, um, but but who would blame you using drugs? No, I mean, exactly. I think we're having a dialogue in this in this country now that is beginning to shift. I mean, mm-hmm. when I talked to my grandpa's new or wife, my grandma passed away mm-hmm. when I was uh, nine, almost ten, and and they're re- he's remarried, and she was an ex correctional officer. She doesn't get it, but I feel you know like addiction and uh-huh. all of that stuff. But she doesn't get it. She just doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. Like yeah, when I talk about like the benefit of like needle exchanges, like mm-hmm. everybody's getting on board with needle exchanges now uh, uh harm reduction harm you know reduction about that? yeah my uh, harm reduction is huge um you know i think that there's something to be said with regards to pharma like they mm. created this problem with oh, opiates and now they're creating a problem with suboxone like every not everybody needs to go on suboxone suboxone is an amazing like it's like weaning you off of it is no it? so now people are on suboxone for life like they they're putting people on like the max dose of suboxone so suboxone is a drug that was originally marketed as a detox drug it tapers you down off of that's what i thought it was opiates yeah. it's a synthetic opiate that also uh-huh. has a component that makes it so you can't get high if you were to go relapse mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely cases where suboxone is necessary at my treatment center. My husband owns a treatment center and we see cases of people who have been to treatment 10, 15 times and they've overdosed so many times. And the better alternative Mm -hmm. is for them to be on like a high dose of suboxone for the rest of their lives. But not every single you know, especially young person that comes into treatment needs to be on 34 mm-hmm. milligrams of Suboxone every yeah. day. You know what I mean? Okay. So I'm fascinated by this and I, we, I I want to explain to my listeners your story in the sense of like, so 
you had a traumatic childhood, which you yeah, described. Traumatic childhood, then- started using drugs my preteen years. By the time I was 15, I was fully addicted to Oxycontin. My habit was, um, by the time I had my show, which was just a few years later, mm-hmm. um, was $10,000 a week. Um, How the hell did you afford that? I had my show paid. I mean, my addiction really took off when I started filming Pretty Wild because I was making ten grand a week. Yeah. You know, so I had, like, the funds to buy unlimited amounts of oxycontin and heroin yeah i feel like i i i'm very i'm very close to the sober community and and i have a lot of friends in recovery and and when when i hear the stories of like oh i was spending 500 dollars a day or something on mm-hmm. drugs i'm like where does the money come from yeah like how does that well we're hustlers right like so every socioeconomic group robs and steals mm-hmm. um panhandling prostitution mm-hmm. um you know all of those things are options when you need to get well and that's mm-hmm. the thing that people don't understand with opiate addiction is that the physical withdrawal symptoms are so extreme mm-hmm. that you have to get better and you'll do whatever it takes to get mm-hmm. better and um you know I, I don't think someone can really fully understand what that feels like unless you've been through it. It is. Yeah. It's horrendous. I I have not been through it. And this will be the first time I actually tell part of this story on, on my podcast. I've been like with withholding it for like a year, but I went to um, a place called milestones for depression or whatever yeah, uh, i'm familiar with milestones yeah, yeah. you know all right yes, denise you I know do. all the peeps i know denise yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i went there uh, last summer for depression i don't even really think i was depressed but whatever uh that was bestowed upon me it's a very long story but in order to go to a facility like that you have to go through detox or whatever but i was not actually detoxing for i don't i don't do drugs i drink but i don't but i had to i i witnessed someone coming off of heroin and it was the, yeah. the scariest thing and they I've have ever suboxone seen. so i didn't I'm even, not even ha- sure they chose yeah, not to no, I, I most think people they, do no they definitely were giving it to him I, yeah I th- yeah because he kept asking for more and i remember yeah. them saying like is that that must have been what it was yeah. That, yeah but it was terrifying to witness i yeah. mean he was like praying to go, like asking for it was really scary yeah. so so i did that twice in jail cold turkey and without anything without anything so um i kicked a xanax um i've also heard that's like the worst withdrawal i mean there are xanax alcohol and heroin are the worst withdrawals hands Mm -hmm. down um with alcohol and and benzos you can't do it unless you're under the care of a a physician because there's a seizure risk Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like the flu times a thousand. It's like having needles poking out of every orifice of your body. It's projectile vomiting and diarrhea and cold sweats and shaking uncontrollably and the inability to eat, um, your whole body, uh, not (laughs) under this um, set of circumstances. It's, it's horrendous. You, you can't sleep. Um, your legs just feel like you need to kick them through the wall mm-hmm. because they hurt so bad. It It is, there's nothing quite like it. Mm-hmm. So 
so yeah my addiction took off we ended up getting the show pretty wild because i don't know it was that time period and we made for really good reality tv Mm -hmm. um and did you did you when you were growing up did you know you wanted to be in entertainment no I literally, I had no sense of direction in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always like, you know, kind of fly by the, what is the saying? Fly Fly by by the the city of pants. Yeah. Yeah. Like I graduated high school early and I just had no direction in my life. And my mom um, was like, why don't you and Tess start going on like um, LA casting and model mayhem and all of this stuff. And we started working music videos, mm-hmm. um, and doing like, we have, we both have a history of dance. Um, okay. so we were both ex dancers and we would just go and do like music videos and then Tess wanted to get into playboy. And we were just living this very like LA life, mm-hmm. um, and hiding our addiction really well at that point. How, how does one hide that that well? Like what, what is that even like? Cause I remember yeah. on your Dan Levy podcast, it was like, he had no idea. Yeah. Which is, I think that like, and if I'll you explain, watch, Dan Levy is a producer, of, is, is the yeah. producer of pretty wild. Like he's, he's our founder creator, mm-hmm. um, of the show. Um, I mean, I think that there, that back then there was definitely like a very naive, like nobody thought that like these two girls from the suburbs of mm-hmm. LA would be like, shooting heroin yeah Um, you just don't know when I look at my energy levels my behavior the way that I spoke all my emotional irregularity all of that stuff on the show that's not the real Alexis the real Alexis is who's sitting in front of you today Mm -hmm. um that's the drugs Mm -hmm. that's the drugs and so they didn't know me before drugs um Mm -hmm. my mom didn't really know me before drugs because I, I started using drugs at a time where most people become rebellious teens mm-hmm. and it's like and you just think like oh, maybe oh she's, she's just, just she's emotional she's just changing she's yeah, just yeah. hormonal she's just this she's just that and it's like um no mm-hmm. you know there there was a drug problem and eventually she picked up on it but she didn't really know what to do mm-hmm. um and I think she just kind of thought oh they'll figure it out I mean she had problems with cocaine throughout her modeling mm-hmm. career and all that stuff and she I wouldn't say get got it together, but she stopped using hard drugs and mm-hmm. stuff and, you know, kind of grew out of it. And so I think that she just, again, just thought very that, naive that we it. would just grow out of it. And she didn't need treatment, I guess. So, yeah, no, she didn't, she didn't mm-hmm. need treatment or anything. So, and, and nobody in my family has ever gotten treatment. And so, um, I didn't know what rehab was until I was court ordered to a year in treatment. Support for Be Here For A While comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I can't tell you how much it freaks me out to think about guys putting sharp objects next to their balls, like how easily you could nick or cut your balls, like terrifying. So that's when, why when I found out that Manscaped was supporting my show, I ordered one of these puppies, used my own promo code right away, and got one for the man in my life. Because Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. That's amazing. Now, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And 
you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Come on, guys. Get it together. And Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You're already putting deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body, right? Manscaped always has the right tools for the job. I even got him this good little nail kit and a bag for travel. It's amazing. Your balls will thank you guys. And I have an offer for my listeners. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BEHERE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BEHERE. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com and use the code BEHERE. B-E-H-E-R-E. Let's protect our balls, guys. So explain. So when you were filming the show, you you guys were were high and did you even like like would that show have even happened had that not been the case like would that have been like was no we made for perfect reality tv like i don't think that yeah had we been sober like we probably wouldn't have have gotten the show for sure so Mm -hmm. we got we got the show and um it, it was just kind of like a one in a million shot. Like we shot a sizzle reel with Dan. He had this idea. And then next thing you know, um, A and E and E are going back mm-hmm. and forth fighting over like, who's going to get the show. Um, it wasn't originally supposed to be about me fighting this court case and my drug addiction and all the things that tra- ended up transpiring. And I'm yeah, cause he met you guys like, I, I get out or so no no at a, at a on a set of something a movie. yeah we yeah, were yeah. working like some movie yeah. and it was originally around you know us trying to make it in Hollywood and my mom who's this very like hippie esoteric uh, the free secret? thinker the secret we yeah. followed the secret before the secret was a secret it's based off of Ernest Holmes teachings the science mm-hmm. of mind and it's all about like manifesting and we grew up in that environment I like, believe in that shit though absolutely yeah Yes. The thing is, we absolutely manifested that show. We had a daily um, affirmation that we Mm -hmm. would say every day. Um, But the thing is, with any time that you're manifesting, if your subconscious mind isn't clear, what is needing to be worked out in your subconscious mind will always come forward or come through. So maybe you'll get the show, but everything will crumble. Right? Because your subconscious mind self-sabotages. It doesn't believe that... You can really achieve all of these things. So you have to literally go in and um, reprogram your subconscious mind before you start manifesting. And you have to manifest from a place of abundance, like not of lack. So Mm -hmm. if you're manifesting out of lack, whatever you manifest will also go. Mm -hmm. You have to manifest from like a truth and a knowing that like there is an abundance in this world, an abundance of love, an abundance of health, an abundance of Mm -hmm. peace, an abundance of... um, of wealth abundance of all of these things mm-hmm. um you know and that it is your destiny and your right to tap into that and to achieve that mm-hmm. i love um is it, uh, the expanded podcast lacey phillips if you guys want to learn more about this, yeah, I, don't I don't talk know. about manifesting that much, but if you want to know more about this, her podcast is amazing and mm-hmm. her program is actually amazing. I've, um, I'm in the middle of it right now. I've, I've been doing it for a couple of weeks now. It's a good reset. Yeah. And she talks about how to get into the subconscious and how to like manifest from a place mm-hmm. of like abundance and all of that stuff. So yeah, I, I love really that cool. kind of thing. I learned that at also at milestones, this guy, Joey mm-hmm. Tabanella, who's done my podcast. Um, he he teaches that kind of thing and it's it's so crazy because i think this the stat he said was that your brain um 
processes 50 billion bits per second of sub subconscious information like stuff that you don't even know it's like from childhood it's just like something you don't even know yeah age zero to seven your program your entire um which is why i'm just so passionate about breaking the cycle on my family and parenting and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but age zero to seven is one year's your subconscious mind is programmed yeah okay so how did you did you do you feel like you were forced into like a big change because of uh what happened like I, I, and I honestly don't even know, like you weren't that involved in the bling ring thing, right? Like you were no. sort of just there. Yeah. So I met Nick, um, through Tess. Tess had known him, um, previously mm-hmm. he lived in Calabasas. We grew up in Westlake, which are like neighboring suburbs. Mm-hmm. And I believe that they had gone to like a teen, is it like a teen rehab center? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Tess was very much so like a... I don't want to say problem child, but she had like a lot of problems mm-hmm. and and had a lot of hardships growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, so she knew Nick. Um, he had been robbing houses for several months before um, she introduced him to us. So at that point, he had already done like Rachel Bilson and Paris Hilton and all of these huge celebrities with um, Rachel Lee. And a few of the other members. Um, and so I was introduced to him through via test. And then, yeah, like, it's crazy because people are like, do you regret it? Do you like, do, like you mm-hmm. went down so publicly and all of that. And honestly, I was saying on my podcast yesterday, and this is crazy, but it's true. Like, in a weird way, like Orlando Bloom saved my life. Like, interesting. in a very, very you know, like if you can like take away certain moments of, of your history of your past, mm-hmm. it would drastically alter your current reality mm-hmm. and had that moment not happened for me. Um, so it doesn't matter if I was in the bling ring mastermind, mm-hmm. like I was a really sick person. I was no mother Teresa. I was panhandling. I was stealing money from my parents. I was doing whatever it takes, like considering prostitution in order to continue to numb out all of the emotional pain that I had been Mm -hmm. going through my entire life. And so, um, you know, that moment drastically like altered my experience. It led to like a lot of trauma before the beauty and before the evolving and all of that. And, of course, I feel horrible about the entire situation. Um, It, you know, all I can do is continue to make living amends. Mm -hmm. And I do that by, like, helping other people get sober and staying sober and, Mm -hmm. like, actively doing all of the things that I'm doing in order to help people heal from their their trauma. So, yeah, so the Orlando Bloom night transpired I started calling the cops a couple of weeks after because I realized the severity of what was transpiring after why were you calling the cops um so after that night um after that night I stopped talking to Nick Mm -hmm. um and a few weeks later surveillance videos he went to Lindsay Lohan's house and Mm -hmm. these videos in our and Audrina Patridge's started to surface Mm -hmm. and I was like holy shit that's terrifying this is like a freaking like this is like a mastermind like they have this down to a science now and this is Mm -hmm. like a huge 
like way bigger than I, you know, I just thought, oh, I was like totally drunk and loaded and this was just like a one-off weird thing and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't. Yeah. It was very much so like a system that they had down and they were doing this multiple nights in a row and just like it was, I think Paris Hilton was like several million dollars of her stuff that they, they ended up taking and, um, so I started calling the cops and on the second day of filming, um, they showed up to my house to arrest me. And when they showed up, I thought that they were just there to like ask me questions because I was like, I've been calling you guys. <laughs> really? Yeah. What were you calling and saying? Just like, Hey, I know this these is- people. This is f- fucked up. I know these people. If well, you were doing the right needed- thing then, right? Why do it? Am I calling? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that, at that point, that was definitely the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was no mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had a good heart and so much of what I said on that show was taken out of context or mm-hmm. seemed uh, really like naive or just, you know, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what makes for good uh, TV. It does. It makes for good TV. Um, all along, I knew I've always known that, like, I am a good person. Mm-hmm. I have a spiritual foundation I just was a really lost person, a really mm-hmm. sick person at the time. Yeah, you were also had, like, really a lot young. Of pain and trauma. And I was really young and very naive and unlikable and all of those things. And so I became the face of the bling ring mm-hmm. because sex sells. And mm-hmm. I talk about this all the time. The way that media portrays women is absolutely absurd. My episode today is all about this that comes out today. We release every Tuesday and her podcast is called recovering from reality yeah recovering which from is, reality it's really good <laughs> thank I you I like it a lot like you're doing a very good job with it thank you yeah it's um it turned from like a, a passion project into you know something that now I'm just like I need to do this yeah um and we can just we can dive more into well, recovery so, and stuff yeah later, so how but. did you so how did you turn it all around then so yeah it, was was it forced upon you or was it like a choice? I think it was a combination of things. Um, so I went to jail the first time. I ended up pleading because I could not fight a case high on heroin. I uh, mean, you know what I mean? That Stranger things there, have happened, maybe. Was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the cop, the lead detective on the case was doing a lot of sketchy stuff that came out later, thankfully, to the LA Times who started kind of diving into what do you do like more. plant evidence or weird stuff yeah like so that? like we were ready to go to trial and then um so he was threatening witnesses like and being sexually inappropriate with one of them he Whoa. he played himself in the movie he was very much so like he refers to me as hot in one of the interviews with another co-defendant he he had he definitely had like a very weird and sick vendetta against me and why do you we think? were ready to go to trial i don't know his own i don't know mommy issues I, mm-hmm. who, who fucking knows yeah um we were ready to go to trial and he comes down the hallway and basically says hands a piece of paper to my attorney and was like i've got her 
her cell phone pinged a tower in the area the night in question because they said that I was on the surveillance footage or mm-hmm. whatever and but there you couldn't see anybody's face. Mm-hmm. And the thing that people don't realize is that they would hit these houses multiple nights in a row. So they wouldn't just go to Paris with Lynn's house once. They would go like multiple times. So from okay. my recollection, I was there on a different night than that night right and so they would what do you mean they would go to the same house and rob it multiple times times a night yes uh multiple days in a row oh multiple days in a row okay yeah so they would like figure out when the celebrities dumb though well they'd figure out when they go out of town and then it was like a high for them um so they would be like well what else can we get what else can we get what else can we get and it was it was a really Mm -hmm. I don't really know. I can't, I'm not a psychologist. I can't. I can only speculate like and give my opinion, but it became a high for them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Probably, yeah. Well, my attorney, despite them having my phone records and mm-hmm. all of that, my attorney um, didn't check the piece of paper, and he had just written in whatever number. So he didn't even write. Like So he, he just put in my phone number. And so my attorney was like, they've got you and you really and I was like so high throughout all of this my memory of all of this is really spotty like Mm -hmm. the night that it happened and all of this but I'm like that can't be but he was like you need to plea you're gonna get six years in prison for this like it's not worth it you need to take the six months like you're addicted to drugs and blah 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 and I was just like okay so I pled that day Mm -hmm. and then it wasn't until years later my mom went and looked through all of the discovery and was like, that's not your fucking phone number on the piece of paper. And my attorney never checked it. That's insane. Yeah. Especially when some of my other co-defendants, so they like held out longer mm-hmm. and they ended up getting like just probation or nothing else. Because How long did you he was serve? so dirty. So I got sentenced to six months. I spent a summer in protective custody at Linwood. And again, what but it all, like? it all happened perfectly because mm-hmm. I literally would not, I would have died. Like mm-hmm. I would have been one of the, like Corey Monteith. I would have been one of, I would have been the Mac Miller. I would have, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not like obviously star level where they're at, but like I would have been the 24 to 26, well, it's not, it's not 27 even, it's not even year old star level. It's just that like everywhere died. now. Yeah, I, yeah, I, like, I would have died. And mm-hmm. it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And mm-hmm. I'm really. How did you grateful. go from. Like what, what is the progression of like, all right, so I'm going to parties, I'm drinking, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, maybe snorting Coke or whatever people do. And, uh, how did it go from that to, which that's not great either. Uh, but to yeah. like using like needles and stuff. Um, it's definitely like a progression for me. It was really fast. I was introduced to pain pills, um, after I had a surgery and then a, I, makes me so upset like I went to most of the kids I went to high school with yeah most of them most of like good athletes the 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 dudes and some of the nice girls uh they're all heroin addicts now because they started doing pain pills when we were in high school or yeah and that's the thing it's not the pill like everything is addictive right like Mm -hmm. and only certain amount of people I mean like many people go and have um like surgery and then like don't come out heroin addicts you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and so for me so is it it, would you say that's a gene then in that case there's no um there's no addiction gene um it has to do with like epigenetics which would be your how inclined you are to be more sensitive than other people and things like that Mm -hmm. in combination with trauma 
Mm-hmm. So um, for me, it was just like a perfect storm of just being like a highly sensitive individual who had a lot of trauma. And then mm-hmm. I, the first time that I took opiates, it was the best feeling of my entire life, mm-hmm. you know? And um, it was peace, you know? It mm-hmm. provided me with the peace that I had never experienced before because I didn't have a normal childhood. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel safe in my home. I didn't feel protected. I didn't have the things that that are um, conducive to a normal life and a normal upbringing. And so... Um, it makes me feel sad for you. Sorry. I feel like, like that's... I, 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 I understand that. Like, empathetically, like, I... I don't get it. Like the times I've taken pain pills after surgery, I'm like, it just makes me nauseous. I don't like yeah. it, but like, I understand the today. feeling of like, yeah. And, and, and that, and that shift does take place. Like I've had to take pain pills in recovery and now I'm like, this doesn't do this for me. Mm-hmm. Like it, my, cause thought, you've healed yourself. Do you think? Yeah, Is that what it I is? Think like you've healed yeah, you like heal the, trauma. And then when you, I mean, recovery I really believe that it's a holistic thing mind body and spirit so I've worked really hard on healing my body and I'm still working on that to this very day Mm -hmm. um my mind through like years and years of therapy and dealing with my trauma and then like the spiritual work that I've done which is includes everything from a meditation practice to Mm -hmm. Reiki to my you know my Buddhist philosophy and all of the other things Mm -hmm. that I do I really believe that 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 created that um shift for me and not everybody agrees with my take on like I do believe that we recover fully I I choose to abstain from consuming alcohol and drugs um that's just a personal choice Mm -hmm. um but I don't fear that I'll ever become a heroin addict again Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't agree with that well, I heard uh, one of your other podcasts. I uh, what was it? Uh, Dopey is that what it was? Uh-huh. Where yeah, we went on a back and forth about this because he's one of those true like AA big bookers who like doesn't believe that we fully recover. Okay, so I, I actually didn't know that that was a philosophy that, mm-hmm. that you never really recover. So many people just believe once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Like, uh-huh. I don't refer to myself as an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm I'm I. I'm sober. I abstain from drugs and alcohol, but I don't consider myself an alcoholic. I believe that if I were to have a glass of wine right now, I wouldn't go and have a bottle of wine yeah. the next night. You know? Well, and I think that's kind of what you were saying on that podcast. And it also might have been because you were so young when it happened. It was like... Yeah, I think there's a number of factors that were like in my favor. So obviously the amount, I'm not going to discredit the amount of work that I've done in the last eight years. Mm -hmm. I've been sober for over eight years now. Um, But also getting sober at 19, like your brain begins um, really developing its prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for all decision making at age 10 and Mm -hmm. doesn't finish until 26. Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to spend the last seven years of my brain development free and clear of drugs and alcohol, which Mm -hmm. is incredible. And obviously that changes things um, for sure and definitely has an impact. Um, Yeah, I just I have a different philosophy. That's part of the reason why I left AA. Like AA was a huge blessing in my life. I believe in the 12 steps. Um, I believe um, in in the program it saved my life for the first couple of years and mm-hmm. I'm forever grateful um what I don't believe in is referring to myself as an alcoholic every day yeah and they do you know every time you go yeah. in and identify you have to say my name's Alexis and I'm an alcoholic and like just 
just this the power of the mind right like i don't i don't believe in telling myself yeah, that i, I, t- every I can single totally see day. what you're saying it's like it's almost yeah. like def- you're defeating yourself it's also depressing bit. hearing people who have like 20 years that, that say in meetings like i'm always this close to a drink or a drug like they live their life in fear of relapse i don't live my life like yeah. that like it's just it's just not me like yeah. I, I just don't believe in 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 living like that mm-hmm. you know like I don't have any regrets um part of my healing is just acknowledging that that was a par- that is a part of me mm-hmm. it's part of my life and it's a part of so many people's lives too yeah. it's like I believe in this day and age because of the amount of like collective unconsciousness and collective trauma mm-hmm. and collective pain and the and the generation of kids that have grown up post 9-11 specifically mm-hmm. um we're all addicted to something, whether yeah. it's Instagram, working out, sex, mm-hmm. toxic relationships, drugs, alcohol, um, gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, video Everyone games. has a coping mechanism. Everybody has a coping mechanism. But they always have. I think. I think people have always had coping mechanisms. I yeah. think there's a label put on it more so now of like, this is what you are. This is, but. I also think we're, we're growing up in a, a a time where people are not even acknowledging what it like. It's like. I don't know. I, I think I think it takes daily work to just kind of be happy yeah. and do the things like. Well, that's a mindfulness practice. Yeah. You it, know, but people are not willing to put in the work. So it's like they're not. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about like the collective unconscious and and my podcast literally in the front of my w- website. It says recovering from reality is a podcast for people who want to wake the fuck up because mm-hmm. it's time. The time is now. Mm-hmm. There is no other you know like you can put it off for however long you want um but we're in a time period now where i'm calling people to rise up in their Mm -hmm. um life and show up for themselves so that way they can start showing up for this planet and for this world Mm -hmm. because we're never going to end systemic racism we're never going to end racism we're never going to end mass shootings we're never going to end violence we're never going to end poverty and socioeconomic problems and all of these things without individually waking up yeah i don't Okay, that's what you're saying. Yeah, because I'm like, I think that we can end those things if it's people are actually working on themselves. Like, I think it's exactly. like, it's people are just patted on the back for doing things that are. It's we're told it's okay to do certain things, but it's it's completely not. And mm-hmm. it's like you know, if if mental health was treated more, there wouldn't be all of this stuff. It's it's yeah, it really goes down the, to mental health and the trauma. Mental health issues. It's not why all because the addiction. It keeps going. It's not why all the addiction. It's why all the pain. Yeah, it's why all the pain. the pain. I agree. It's not. The pain it's not is addiction, the center of all of us. So the only I way to wake agree. up from the pain is by doing the individual work. But people just keep. It keeps like the yeah. pattern keeps repeating. Many and people like want to live with their head in the sand. Yeah, and it's hard. Well, it's I think easier. it's very cool that you are doing something about it, and mm-hmm. your husband. So you guys. So tell me about your life now, because I I really do think it's like a beautiful story. Like it's oh, very very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I made, I took, I, I, I took the more painful path. Like I, I say this often, like the recovery path isn't the easy path. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to live with your head in the sand, buried in the sand, pretending that nothing's happening, going la 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 la, like none would, of this is going on. Yeah, I would. It's easier to drink and use your life away mm-hmm. and to pretend and to live in your privilege and to pretend that everything's okay when the world is falling apart than it is to really wake up. That waking up process for me has been extremely uncomfortable 
extremely painful. It's led me to be in periods of severe suicidal depression. I just finished six weeks of TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation for drug resistant depression. Explain what that is. TMS is newer technology. It's for people who have drug resistant depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, CPTSD. And um, it's a MRI strength magnet that you put on your head every day. And it basically like... Oh, zaps you for six weeks getting the, well one of my friends is getting this yeah. for um she also had some family sexual trauma mm-hmm. something she's going through it it's, it's like amazing a tri- is it a trial thing no no it's been fda cleared since 2009 okay and um and it's highly effective so it has a 70 percent effective rate which is amazing because your first time trying an antidepressant only has about 27 percent mm-hmm. chance of actually working for you and it goes down with each additional antidepressant that you try and so, really? um, I just You're completed like a it. fact You're just a machine <laughs> here. Like, I didn't I, know that. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I don't, I don't take them. I don't, I, I, they, they threw me on Wellbutrin for a hot second. And I was like, I just feel like I'm going to throw up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Many people have. So that, that was me. I, it wasn't so much that I had drug resistant depression. That's what they label me as, as it is that I just don't tolerate antidepressants at all. Mm-hmm. And so I tried a number of them and, um, you feel really numb. I like, I feel like it's like, it's like yeah. a. It's a non-feeling. Yeah, I mean, I try to kill myself on Prozac. So, I mean, there's it, oh, it makes right. me very suicidal. And I'm sorry. It's a, no, it's okay. I mean, the thing is, um, I, I believe for me personally that antidepressants needed to be a last resort. And so I did everything possible to heal my body and my mind without them, mm-hmm. right? And um, when that was no longer working Mm -hmm. um I need to try meds I tried meds and I had very severe reactions to those meds and um so you know I've had periods in my life where my depression's okay and then when it's really really bad and I got to a point um actually right when I was starting my podcast um where I was back to being like suicidally depressed and having 10 panic attacks a day and do you feel like it's just like a it's a lifelong battle not anymore. It's cured me, the TMS. So really? I have um, my depressions reduced by about 90%, which is crazy. totally manageable. So, okay. So what do they do with the magnets? I need. So they place it on, um, they, so the left side of your brain is for depression and the right side is for OG, OCD and um, anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's this MRI strength magnet that they just put on the top of your head in these very precise areas. Mm-hmm. And it targets the brain. And it basically tells the brain, wake up. It's time to start functioning again Mm -hmm. and so um you go uh five days a week for six weeks and um then you taper down for an additional three weeks in my case and uh it's a commitment for sure um but i'm happy to say that like it worked for me Mm -hmm. i don't know my anxiety is still there a bit but my depression it's manageable i'm not having like i was saying i was having 10 panic attacks a day i couldn't parent um and like actual I've like, had two panic attacks in my entire life and I remember them feeling like heart attacks but yes they, they've, yeah extreme so you were having pain, 10 of those breathe. a day yeah yeah it was so so bad yeah it was it was horrible so they actually put me on a benzo for the six weeks of my mm-hmm. treatment um which made it manageable because sometimes with TMS your symptoms could get worse before they get better oh, that's scary though yeah yeah it was but it wasn't that didn't happen in my case I definitely had very low lows during treatment but mm-hmm. I was having low lows anyways mm-hmm. um and 
it just gets better and better and better over time. So mm-hmm. it was really effective for me. So that's great. So I tried that. You know, I, I so basically I, w- I went to jail and I spent a summer in jail in solitary confinement. It was brutal. I detoxed. I got out and I, I knew heroin was a problem for me, but I didn't know alcohol was a problem for me. I got blackout drunk that night and I got in a fight with a friend that I ended up kicking in the face with high heels on. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're like, I got nervous laughter from No. It, it was. Yeah. Okay. Was the fight, uh, was it that bad? What happened? What, why was, what was the fight caused by? Um, we, me and this friend were having like an intimate relationship on and off uh-huh. and she had a boyfriend who was abusive mm. and he like, I don't really remember the exact details cause I was blacked out, but like he tried to get involved and we were hooking up mm-hmm. and, um, I mean, it seems she, reasonable now that you explain it. <laughs> yeah, she like basically. I was in a blackout though, like, yeah. and, I, and I wouldn't say my sexual experience with her was definitely, um, like okay with me. Mm-hmm. But then when he got involved, and then I felt really like I felt like I was being attacked, mm-hmm. you know. And I've been raped before. I was raped again at sixteen years old, and I just it just brought up. Yeah, and I ended up. It just I'm it just got really really bad. sorry uh, that you've had the, this. Uh, oh, girl, I've been held at gunpoint. I was almost kidnapped in Paris. I've had so much stuff happen. It's like insane. But what's cool is that you're actually doing something about it to heal yourself, as opposed to like you know burying your head in the sand, like you said. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about like your marriage and like I know yeah. that you guys met in recovery. Yeah. And- so I got sober a couple months after that, <laughs> um, again, uh, because of the court system. Mm-hmm. And um, when Wait, you I, got sober because of the court system. Y- yeah, I went back into jail for possession of heroin. Did you ever go to rehab? Yeah. So okay. they sentenced me. So the courts, instead of, I was supposed to go away for like three to six years mm-hmm. because I violated my probation and the courts were um, lenient, which I believe all people who have addiction issues should go to treatment before they go to jail Mm -hmm. i also believe we should decriminalize all drugs but that's a whole other topic um but portugal isn't that the place that's doing it yeah they did and it drastically reduced all of the negative effects of the heroin addiction that they had going on over there um Mm -hmm. so yeah we i i go into treatment and i'm at an aa meeting because you go to a lot of AA meetings when you're in rehab Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um I showed up and I basically like had a big middle finger on my forehead like head wrapped in this scarf with the biggest glasses ever and I thought that I was so fucking important because my ego was so big which was really just like a mask for all of my pain Mm -hmm. right because I had no drugs anymore so now I'm really important (laughs) and my husband remembers the very first time that I shared he goes she she was like oh it's so embarrassing I, I got voted like the worst mugshot with like Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton. It's like so embarrassing. My husband was like, who the fuck is this person? (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I stuck around and I remember listening. I remember hearing my husband talk who had five years at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I need that. You know, he's very spiritual, very grounded, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, um, I ended up relapsing on whippets crawling my whippets is like uh huffing yeah the same thing yeah 
because you can't get I feel correct. like I sound like a grandma. I'm like, is it, like, what is it? Is it nail polish? What it's is it? It's often a whipped cream can, you know, getting high. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Yes. And uh, I knew I couldn't get drug tested for that. So, but what, what ended up happening was it brought me to my knees. Like it was the emotional bottom. I had had a lot of like physical bottoms and like moments in my life where I was like, this fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. But I had had some sober time like two months at that point mm-hmm. and I went out and got loaded and I was like, I'm a, on whippets. Yeah. I'm like, I'm a fucking idiot. Like I'm a, I'm going to go to jail over whippets. Like I'm going to ruin my entire life over fucking whippet. That's a good point. Yeah, and it kind of, and I crawled, I basically crawled my ass back into that meeting and, um, Evan was the most spiritual person there. And I just asked him, I said, do you know of a woman that can sponsor me? Like, I, I don't even know who mm-hmm. to ask. And he gave me this the name and number of, of one of his friends who gave me the name and number of another one of her friends and she ended up becoming my sponsor. And I disappeared for a number of months and just like really dove into the work. Deborah was my sponsor up until she left the program as well. She had 20 years. She was this really Left the program as in, as in relapsed or? No, she just oh, stopped just, going yeah, yeah. A and um, she's this like awesome amazing spiritual hippie chick that lived in Topanga and I loved her of mm-hmm. course like all my vibes right mm-hmm. and she felt like a mom to me um and when I came back a couple months later Evan was like you're a different person like my scarf was off my glasses were off mm-hmm. my shares were more about recovery than they were about my ego and all of my problems and all of that so those are all the gifts of the program working the 12 steps right and then we became friends and then a couple months after that, he started the treatment center, Aloe. And then um, we began dating. Mm-hmm. And I knew right away that he he was the one. And we've been happily married for... That's so cute. Happily married Aww. for seven years. We have two kids, um, Harper, who's six, and Dakota, who's three. Cute and names. thank you. And we just like... I don't know. We're just obsessed with each other. We just love each other a lot. That's really cute. (laughs) Do you feel like sobriety helps your marriage because you guys are both in the program and like, Um, and well, well, I, I mean, meaning, well, you're not, not doing a anymore, but meaning like it forces you to like look at yourself more. Absolutely. Um, I think that a lot of our, I think that our combined success is our individual work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like he completes me, she completes me bullshit. Mm-hmm. We're two complete individuals that come together. And of course, we've had times in our marriage where I've had to rely more on him and he's had to rely more on me, but it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know this sounds disgusting and like <laughs> really um, just like, you know, oh God, but we don't fight you know really that's awesome we don't we don't fight i can count on the number i can count on one hand the amount of big fights that we've had in our marriage actually when i think about it like i have i have parents that are still married and happy and awesome and i don't remember ever seeing them fight maybe that is kind of the key to it i mean we have arguments and we have arguments in front of our kids too i think the most important thing is is showing the makeup we Mm -hmm. make up quick Mm -hmm. so um, that's another thing with like the individual self work is like, okay, I know right away. I shouldn't have said that, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? So it's like owning up. And, um, even my daughter, my older daughter, who's six now, I'll own up if I do something wrong to her. And mm-hmm. now she does the same to me. So she'll go, I'm sorry that I did it. Do you forgive mm-hmm. me? And, and, 
right there. I mean, that's something my, my husband also grew up in an alcoholic household. His mom committed suicide when he was 14. His dad's an alcoholic. She was severely mentally ill, Mm -hmm. um, like schizophrenic and all of that. And he would go visit her and psych wards and stuff as a young boy by himself. And it was, it was really traumatic. And so we've, we have made a pact to each other to you know stop the Mm -hmm. generation after generation of like trauma it's not easy it's it's actually it's a lot of work it's really hard but i think that's what's kind of like i don't identify as like an alcoholic or addict or anything but like i i i I love the like I wish I could go to meetings and not feel like a fraud because, you know, well, I probably had a drink like, the night before, but like, I, step. it's, it's the, the work that people are doing. It's mm-hmm. like, it, it's really, it, everyone needs it. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone needs it. Like everyone needs to look in the mirror and like mm-hmm. it do the, I mean, it just, I think it's just any, anyone could use it. And I yeah. think that that's like how you're, you are healing generations past. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like a ripple effect. So two years into my sobriety, my mom got off antidepressants, stopped smoking weed, and realized what a fucked up parent she was. And mm-hmm. um, that... Have you guys done some work together? Yeah, and, and um, you know, amends have been made, and the relationship has definitely shifted, and, and then my relationship with my dad has gotten better. Um and sometimes people don't change. It's that you can really acknowledge that they're just doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can forgive them mm-hmm. anyways, you know? Yeah. And it's it's something you have to realize, too, of, like, it's a different generation. Like, I, I feel like our parents and our grandparents, they were raised in, like, a, like kind of like a panic generation. Like, a, mm-hmm. like, our grandparents would have been, like, part of the Great Depression and then, like, different things. Like, they're... They, they bring that to the table of like, and then like they bring like a certain amount of just raw trauma in a weird way that like, you just have to kind of be like, all right, that's, that's, that's their truth. And then that's what happened. And that's, you yeah. know, I mean, but at the same time, it's like everybody's responsible for taking charge of their own lives and, but think it wasn't, about the kids. but it wasn't popular to get therapy it, until recently. Like, like people, it's yeah. not it's it not wasn't. our parents' generation to even acknowledge that kind of thing. It wasn't, but it's still not because we're doing active shooter drills in kindergarten classrooms so instead of really dealing with mm-hmm. the problem of active shooting. So we're still not really handling yeah, that's this. True. You know it's what I mean? It's getting better. Well, not the I would argue. Stuff, like, I would argue that it's not though. That I feel like that's the you know. And uh, here's my argument. Here's mm-hmm. my truth. Um, I think we've wanted to pretend that it's gotten better mm-hmm. because it's easier than actually recognizing the way that racism and sexism and mental illness and all of these things are exactly the same as they've always been. been. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it, it speaks to our education system, right? Because we grew up going to school and I don't know about you, but in my school, in my suburban, you know, middle-class, upper middle-class area, we grew up learning about, you know, the settlers Mm -hmm. and, um, we learned about Martin Luther King Jr., but we didn't learn about the you know, lynchings happening in the streets. Yeah, we, no, you're right. We mm-hmm. really, you know, it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I watched the Netflix documentary, The 13th, that I really fully understood the way that racism is still alive and well today in this country. It wasn't until I started expanding um, 
and being willing to sit down with people who didn't look like me, who didn't have the same mm-hmm. experiences that I had and hearing them and, and, and acknowledging their, their experiences. And so I think we've wanted to think, and that's why I think we're here today. Mm-hmm. And in this situation that we're in, it's getting worse. That's how Donald Trump is president. It's getting worse mm-hmm. because there's um, more entitlement now you think, or no, I think that, um, it's, it's at the point now where there's such a great socioeconomic divide um, that then, you know, one party right now, it's the Republican parties. It used to Mm -hmm. be the Democrats. Then they switched. It was Mm -hmm. called like the Southern strategy. You can Google it if you want, if you don't, whatever. Um, (laughs) But there was this, uh, there was a shift that it's right now this Republican party who is, um, playing to this socioeconomic group of people mm-hmm. who are in poverty, who have lost their jobs, who are white, religious, and they play up to all of their, you know, moral issues. And the problem is that they continue to defund education and nobody's a critical thinker anymore. And we we just, we'll just continue to have these problems until we really wake up to, um, to the reality that we've always been racist, that this mm-hmm. nation was built on racism, and that still is today. I, I, I just that breaks my heart. But it, I guess that is true. It's it's hard to understand when you're. I I think probably like both of us, where like you're. My heart can't even like yeah, comprehend that. Like it's yeah. like I don't I, like I. I don't see that kind of thing. And I'm not trying to say like, I'm such a great person, but it's like, that doesn't. Yeah. But, but I guess like we're probably a a minority of people that are like that. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I know. But part of the problem of not, not seeing it too, um, is that we should see it. We should see color. We should acknowledge diversity. We should just allow people to like live it. And I grew up like that too, where it was like, if you were gay and you like my uncle, my mom's best friend who I called an uncle Mm -hmm. was this like very flamboyant gay drag queen. Mm -hmm. Like there was never a question in my household. Yeah. Yeah. If like it was wrong to be gay or Mm -hmm. if it was like, you know, a bad thing to be black or, Mm -hmm. or whatever it was, that wasn't my experience. And so I grew up not really knowing acknowledging the struggles that they actually go through just not even knowing that this was still existing and so there's two sects of people that everybody is benefiting everybody who's not a person from of color is benefiting from being not a person of color it's always been that way ridiculous it is i mean it's even just ridiculous yeah it is and then there's two types of people the ones that like acknowledge and are okay with racism and Mm -hmm. then the ones who were not really like aware that racism existed because that wasn't something that like, you know, especially if you had more parents like mine that were like free love and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? That like everything is love. But okay. But, or you just didn't experience like racism in like a very open way. I was from a really small town. I, and so I should have experienced it, but I, I think it just wasn't, I don't know. I think well, my parents are just really sweet. Like they wouldn't, they don't, I don't know. I, I, I personally like I see pain more than I see anything else. Like I see someone that's like hurting more than I see anything else. Like yeah. I can I that's what I zero in on. So I just like I don't know. I just don't see that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get it. And um, 
you know, I could go on and on about like how, how we really heal addiction and how we really heal like our collective pain. It, it, it's such a multi-level. Well, there was a quote, uh, someone said, I ask, I ask why not the addiction? I ask why the pain? It's like, I think it's yeah, someone. Dr. Gabor Mante. He says it, it all yeah. the time. He goes, it's not, it's not why, why the addiction? It's why, why mm-hmm. all of the pain? And, and I, I say it all the time and, and it, that is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been living in pain for so long and, um, you know, and I think that we know the solutions, um, but no but one's like, willing to put in the work. Well, I think exactly. that's what it is. It's like, I cause mean. it takes a lot of work. Like it takes, that's what I mean when I say it's easier to live unconscious. Mm-hmm. It's easier to live with our head in the sand. It's harder to go for a jog than it, and like get outside and like, or breathe than it is to like pick up a bottle. Like I think most more people are like, well, mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, numb it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to make the effort to like do something actually healthy for myself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a very, yeah, very real part of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap it up, but <laughs> what's, what's next for you? Tell me what else you're doing besides the podcast and or yeah. tell my listeners. Yeah, so um, I've got my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Which is fantastic. Um, Listen to it. It really is good. Like, I will have people on, and I'll be like, all right, I listened to their podcast before. But, like, I've been listening to yours, like, for fun now. Like, it's really good. Cool. Yeah, well, um, it's a – like I said, it's a real passion project of mine. I feel like all of my work right now – I'm also a birth doula. We were talking about that before the podcast – um, I've got my book coming out December 3rd. Um, what's, and what's the book about? It's a memoir uh-huh. my life cool. and what I've learned so far also mm-hmm. titled recovering from reality. <laughs> and, um, and then what I'm hoping to do is start, um, RFR retreats in, in the spring of 2020. So what will those be retreats amazing. look like? That sounds cool. Yeah. So, um, did you hear the episode with Uta, my like spiritual mentor? No, I don't think I heard that one. Yeah. So the retreats are for people who are ready to embark on like the next level of Mm -hmm. their personal growth and development and spiritual practices. And so, um, we're going to start hosting retreats, small, intimate, um, max 15 women. It's a weekend long, um, where you can come together with me and the, I would say that the most important people in my life, the people who have kind of like led me down this path into mm-hmm. this place. And, and, um, it'll be just a weekend of growth and of, of learning to evolve and love yourself and all that good stuff. So we've got that. And, um, I've got another, a number of other projects that I'm working on. I am a very, having a very busy season in my life right now which is great great. yeah it's great and you got two little kids and I've got two little girls um which is just incredible and my most important job obviously and yeah and you can check us out on recovering from reality on Instagram or if you want to follow me personally it's it's Alexis Haynes and yeah cool thank you for doing this (laughs) you're wonderful (laughs) thank you for for having me thank you all right bye